Hi, it's Father Rick, and I want to welcome you to St. Michael's Episcopal Church. I'm really glad you found us. Please know that we accept you wherever you are on your spiritual journey, and we trust that God will take you where you need to be, right in God's timing. We're just glad that you're here with us, and we hope you enjoy today's sermon. God bless. Oh God, you are with us. You are with us. So may we be with you. May we be here with you. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your strength, O oh God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. Welcome. Well, it's getting to look a lot like Christmas, huh? It's getting that time, and there's Gilla, everybody. I'll make her stand up later. So, uh, I want to begin with a story because um, this was when I lived in California, and one evening, uh, several years ago, I was having dinner with two folks from an ad agency. And I had just left my ad agency, my business, and entered seminary. And so during dinner, I was kind of coming out and letting people know that I wasn't in the ad business anymore and that I was going to be an Episcopal priest and uh, studying to be an Episcopal priest. And so um, I had mentioned this to my dinner companions. And uh, one of my dinner companions uh, dismissively said to me, uh, I don't believe in any of that nonsense. You know what I did? I did like, oh, y'all remember Ernest Angley, Angley? I just reached across the table and popped her in the forehead and said, all foul spirits come out. But um, I didn't, but I really probably should have had a thought about it. But I was a little taken back by her, you know. And so I said, uh, what do you mean? She goes, you know, um, Adam and Eve... Uh, and then she said, the virgin birth. Those virgin stories existed for eons before Jesus. Besides, how is it possible for a virgin to be pregnant, let alone give birth? It just doesn't make any sense. And after I rebuked her and scolded her and asked her who <laughs> was invited for, how'd you get here? No, I said to her, honestly, I said, you know, I'm less interested, frankly, in attempting to make rational sense of the possibility of a pregnant virgin, and I'm actually more fascinated in what the story says about God and what the story says about us. Because the story tells us that God wants to be with us. Let that set in, because that's that's the gospel, y'all, y'all. God wants to be with us. And I said, you know, he comes to people, he comes to places in, in the least expected way. It says a lot about God. I mean, God worked through real people. Mary was a real person. Joseph was a real dude. And, and, and he worked with real people, with real challenges. People just like you and people like me. I mean, think about this. God didn't choose a fairy tale princess to bear the Savior of the world. But God chose an unwedded, pregnant, I mean, peasant girl. 
on the other side of the tracks, a nobody. And this is where God so desperately wants to show up and be with us. It says a lot about God, doesn't it? I mean, he didn't choose a political or business hero to name and care for Jesus either, did he? But rather a man who was a common laborer, a carpenter, a man who had his own doubts and questions, who wanted to do the right thing. I said, no, it doesn't make sense. But the truth of the matter is, it says a lot about God, and it says a lot about us. Because the matter of fact, this story, when Mary comes to Joseph, it didn't make sense to Joseph either, right? I mean, he too wanted to dismiss the idea of a pregnant virgin. I mean, think about it. As Matthew tells the story, Joseph, a righteous man, a God-fearing man, carpenter, he wakes up one morning to find that his world has been shattered. I mean, who could possibly believe Mary's outlandish claim that the Holy Spirit impregnated her? Can you imagine that? I mean, how dumb did she think he was? I mean, really? Is he like standing there and going, I mean, like, did I get cheated on by God? Did God, right? I mean, but you have to think, in the reality of the story, there he is, there's the woman he loves, there's his hopes, there's his dreams, there's his future, and she's standing there pregnant, and he knows he has nothing to do with that. Try explaining that one to the person you're engaged to, right? I mean, would you not be in pain? Would you not be in anguish? I mean, wouldn't you feel humiliation and a sense of betrayal? I mean, you've been betrayed before, some of you maybe. You know what that does. And so you can only imagine how Joseph must have felt. His future, his dreams, they were crushed what, 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 what now? What now? And so I have to ask the question, what do we do when our dreams are crushed? What do we do when the future looks like it's coming to an end? What do you do? What do we do when the perfect job or perfect relationship doesn't materialize? He's not who I really thought he was. Or she's not who I thought she was. Or I knew this was the perfect business opportunity. And so I invested everything I had into it. And it just didn't materialize. What do you do? What do you do when your child falls prey to addiction? What do you do? What do you do when you develop an illness and your very life is under the threat of death? What do you do? See, in these difficult and painful moments in life, we may feel just like Joseph, that we've been cheated on by God. You ever felt like that? You ever felt like maybe you've been cheated on by God? Joseph, the scriptures say, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But here's the truth. Joseph's thinking about this, but he's a good dude, right? And he knows if he calls attention to Mary's out-of-wedlock pregnancy that she could very well be stoned to death. 
That's what the Levitical law prescribed. If he divorces her, she'll be reduced to begging or prostitution to support herself and the child. If on the other hand, he marries her, he will be tainted forever by the scandal of Mary's illicit pregnancy. But you know, as I think about this story, I think maybe, maybe most importantly, when Joseph decides that he's going to quietly dismiss Mary, Joseph unknowingly is dismissing the very mystery of God with us. I mean, that's what happens to us often. We're dismissive. You know, we shut out life of God and life and opportunities with God who wants to give birth in us and through us. We don't believe. It doesn't make sense. You know, I got this. I mean, I have people tell me things all the time. I'm like, well, thank you for 2,000 years. You're the one that finally figured it out, right? <laughs> what happened? You're the only brilliant one that ever showed up on earth for 2,000 years. Isn't that amazing? See, when we're dismissive, we shut out the possibilities of what God wants to do in our lives. You don't have to get this story in your head. As a matter of fact, you're not going to get this story in your head. Quit trying to rationalize it. There's only one place for this story to truly, truly impact you in a very real and profound way. And that is in your heart. See, it wasn't just Joseph or my dinner companion that night who was dismissive of something she didn't understand we too often dismiss people, we dismiss ideas, we dismiss visions, we dismiss dreams because we don't understand. It doesn't make sense to me. I mean, we dismiss people who do not conform to our experiences, our past experiences. I mean, we dismiss people because of our personal and cultural expectations. And if they don't meet my cultural expectations or my personal expectations, I can just write them off. Off. I can just dismiss them. And especially if they do not conform to my religious convictions, I can just dismiss them. I mean, this is what we do. We're dismissive. Well, Father Rick's not like Father Joe from 1957. I'm just going to dismiss him. He preaches from the floor, not the pulpit up there. See what I mean? We dismiss all kinds of things that don't align with our beliefs and our values and our understanding. We dismiss dreams. We dismiss dreams. Things that are inside our hearts. Things that we want. Things that we know. Things that God put in us. We dismiss those because somebody or some way we've come to believe that it's impossible for our dreams to become a reality. I could never, I could never do that. I could never accomplish that. I could, and we dismiss them because they don't make sense. They seem too lofty. And believe it or not, folks, I'm not talking about St. Michael's because that would never happen here. Entire congregations dismiss what God wants to do in their lives. 
They dismiss what God wants to do through them and with them. Because we've never done that before. And because we've never done it before, it doesn't make sense. Because we ain't going to do it again. Or, you know, it's going to take me out of my comfort zone. And so I'm not going to be in control. And if I'm not in control, then I'm going to dismiss it. See, we dismiss things so easily. And God wants to do something. But we dismiss it. Just like Joseph. You know, I'll confess. Okay, some of you don't know me. I haven't always been the most devout, wonderful, upstanding, outstanding priest in the world. As a matter of fact, I self-righteously dismissed church and God because I was clueless about the real gospel, frankly. I mean, I used to say things like all the time, you know, Christians are nothing but hypocrites. You got to give that little swagger with it too. And Christians ain't nothing but a bunch of hypocrites. And it's true. It's true. Oftentimes, you know, I say one thing and I mean another. You know what I mean? My words don't always, I mean, my actions don't always match my words. It's true. It's absolutely true. But it's true about every human being I've ever met, not just Christians. And then my, my good one, though, when I, cause I wasn't a church guy, right? Church just wants your money. It always gets quiet when you say money in church. I love it. Money, money, money. <laughs> it gets really quiet. Instead of saying the Lord be with you from now on, you know, when we start to pray, like before a meal, I'm just going to go, money! And it just gets real quiet. But no, I used to say this. I used to say this all the time. Church just wants your money. I mean, I didn't know. I didn't go to church. I wasn't a part of a church. I didn't even really know what a church did. You know what I mean? I just knew a few people who called themselves Christians, and I didn't like them, and I certainly didn't want to be like them. And, I mean, seriously... And, and, and uh, so when an offering plate came around, when I did go to church, like with a girlfriend or whatever, sweetheart, I did have one girlfriend before I met you. And, and I'm like, I want my money. I want my money. But honestly, I'll be confess, that was my rationalization, that was my justification, because it was all about my indifference, my ignorance, my deep ignorance, and my greed and my fear. That's all that it was. But I'll tell you something. All that changed. All that changed on a late Saturday night, June 4th, 1983, at Fitzpatrick Park in Beckley, West by God, Virginia, when I was unexpectedly encountered by one of God's messengers. He so happened that he didn't have big angel wings and like a Leonard Skinner thing in the band. No, he, his name was, he was a dude, a man. His name was James P. Held III, J.P. And the improbable, the impossible the unbelievable, the scary thing happened to me unexpectedly. And right in the middle of my fear and my cynicism, just as I was, not as I should have been or pretended to be or wanted to be, but just as I was, I was encountered by a message from God. And though I wanted to dismiss it because it seems unreal. Like this is real. I wasn't high. I wasn't drinking or anything like that. I wanted to dismiss it. 
But I couldn't. I couldn't. Because it was happening right before my very eyes. To me. In that moment. It was happening to me. And the message was this. Look at me. Look at me. Turn from the corner of your eye, Rick. You're looking at me out of the corner of your eye. And I need you to turn face to face. I want you to see. And then I was told, I'm calling you into the ministry. I don't know if that was the words that were used. They weren't, but nevertheless. I'm calling me? Me? <laughs> you know what? I'm not even a Christian. How could I do that? I mean, the only images of clergy that I had, this is true, Father Kerrigan at St. Francis de Sales, right? That's where I went to school for a while. Or a TV guy like Jimmy Swaggart that had the hair slicked back. And I wasn't about to do my hair like that. Because the truth is, folks, I related more to Keith Richards than I did Jesus. And in my heart and in my mind, I didn't fit the box. I didn't. And the box didn't fit me. So I wanted to dismiss it. I wanted to dismiss this big, crazy, bizarre experience that I was having. But just like when Mary says yes and gives herself to God, when Joseph says yes and gives himself to God, miracles happen. They really, truly do. And so, I didn't know what to do. So I said yes. And I gave myself to God. And my life has never, ever been the same. Because on that summer night, June 4th, 1983, Christ was born in me. And I was ordained 23 years later to the day. See, when we're dismissive of God, we're refusing to open ourselves to the possibilities of God doing something new in our lives. When we dismiss what is possible with God, we dismiss God's desire to give birth to God's dream in and for us. God wants to be with us. But just when he had resolved to dismiss Mary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. I will confess, I think it's important that the angel's first words to Joseph was, do not be afraid. Because 
we need to hear those words too because God's serious about us and about our lives. And when that message comes to us from God, one of God's heavenly sent messengers, it's scary at times because I know if I say yes, that my life is going to change. But I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know, like Joseph, what that's ultimately going to mean. But it's a message that comes from love. It's a message that comes from wholeness. And so I need to hear the words, do not be afraid. And so I say to you today, do not be afraid if you think you've fallen too far from God. Because He comes to bring forgiveness. Do not be afraid if you don't speak Christianese. Do not be afraid if you're not religious enough. Because God comes to show you who He is and who you are. Do not be afraid of something or someone that you don't understand. Because He comes to reconcile you and make you one with Him and one another. Do not be afraid of the mess of your life because the mess is the place where God is born. See, Joseph's role was absolutely pivotal. I mean, in living God's dream, Joseph had to do what? Let go of his or at least reorder everything he thought he knew about life, that he thought he knew about God. But first, he had to move beyond what he understood and what made sense. Right? He had to allow God to transcend the limits of his knowledge. He had to let go of trying to put it all in terms of some kind of rational explanation. Joseph had come to terms with God and himself. And the truth is, that event that I shared with you all, that I didn't even tell my ordaining body, by the way. You didn't want to know why? Because they're a bunch of institutional people. Uh, no offense to any PhDs, but they all had PhDs. And I'm like, I don't know if they've had this same experience that they've been encountered by him, so they might not understand it either. See, we have to let go and come to terms with God and ourselves. And I had to as well, like, with this experience. And after decades of processing it, I've come to, guess what? the same exact conclusion that happened to me on June 4th, 1983. And it's a shift. It's something that happens within us. See, it was Joseph's willingness to lean in to the impossible, to embrace God's messy plan of salvation that allows the miracle of Christmas to unfold. And it's true for us, folks, because it's not only Mary's story, or Joseph's story. It's my story. And it's your story. God doesn't come to save our dreams. God comes to save us. And so the big scandal and the shock of the story is not that a virgin is pregnant and gives birth. The real scandal and shock of the story is that God so loves the world that God chooses to be with us, to impregnate us, to give birth in and through us. That is scandalous. That 
is crazy, but that is the gospel. God wants to take our flesh, our humanity, our world, and bring it to himself. It doesn't make sense. But it's not nonsense. It is actually the greatest news ever proclaimed to humanity. God with us. Don't dismiss it. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you liked today's message, please subscribe to our podcast and be sure to tell your friends. You may also check us out on YouTube at youtube.com backslash St. Michael's Orlando. Until next time, remember, God loves you with a love you did not earn, and therefore, you can never lose.